Uh, welcome back to the uh, Locker Room Podcast. Um, I'm pleased to say that we've got our own uh, Stevie Poocher on the show today. We've also got uh, Axel Coon manager and uh, current Fermanagh coach uh, Paul McIver on the pod today. Now, before uh, we, we get speaking to the lads about the Ulster final and about the final four left in the Ireland, I'd like to just um, uh, put a word out to our sponsors, Ripped, for their continued support of the podcast. Uh, Ripped's digital coaching platform provides us with everything you need to optimize the performance of your athletes. So head over to ripped.app for more information. Okay, uh, let's get cracking, lads. Uh, Paul, I'll, I'll turn to you first because, um, you know, you've had firsthand experience with Fermanagh of coming up against Monaghan this year. Um, obviously, you know, they, they battled hard there against Tyrone. They, you know, they didn't really start that well. Obviously, Tyrone lost four players due to COVID. Uh, but what, what were your thoughts on the game, Paul? Um, I thought it was a very tight affair. And I suppose if you look back, Joe, at all the different stats that is coming from the game, it would lead to, you know, that synopsis. It, it was such a tight game and it was the fine margins that that got over, thrown over the line. Um, I know then you're saying about the absenteeism, you know, thrown actually had seven players absent over the course of, of the game, plus their managers. Um, like, Leading into the game, that must have been very overwhelmed for, I suppose, the management to try and figure out what was going to happen the day of the game. Um, especially, I uh, heard Pat Spillane talking about Mayo and about how Mayo had to overcome it against Leitrim, but then seeing the likes of Tron and Monaghan and being such a tight match, it's in fine margins. And, you know, as a manager trying to get all the matchups right um, in the week leading into the game, all the tactics right, and then all of a sudden you're throwing that you've got seven players due to COVID and you know, injury and uh, food poisoning and different things like that. Um, it must have been very upsetting for Trump, but, you know, their, their sheer class um, showed in the end. But you have to say, like, Monaghan threw the kitchen sink at uh, Trump in every, in every way. And Trump, I suppose, went very tactically man for man, put a lot of pressure on Monaghan out the field. Monaghan, I, I thought, took an awful lot of time to get to grips with that. Um, suppose the likes of Darren Cuse, for example, would have been, you know, coming bombarding through the middle. You know, you'd have Carlo Kong coming bombing through the middle. Uh, that didn't happen this week because the Trump players were up in their faces and, and weren't allowing them to get that. And I suppose if you look back at our game with Monaghan, you know, we conceded a lot of ground. We were concerned about Beggins kickouts. We we were concerned about a number of things. We competed really well and we played. We, we felt that we played really well against Monaghan. But ultimately, the game was, you know, the breaking point was them coming marauding through the middle to get the goal against us. Tone didn't allow that to happen. And as I said, I, th I think it took Monaghan a wee bit of time to get to that. I suppose the big turning point in the game, it was two turning points for me, was between the water break and, and the, and the half-time whistle. Tone went from six points to 11 points in, in 10 minutes. Their forwards were just absolutely unbelievable. Everything that they hit went over the bar. And I suppose Bonte got them in at half time. And, you know, the change of turns coming into middle field, we, we noticed that ourselves, even against us. He's such a massive influence in winning primary possession. And then Monaghan started getting themselves into the game. And, you know, that last 10 minutes was just, it was anybody's game. Anybody could have won it, Joe. Um, real, real entertaining. And I really enjoyed the tactical end of it. And, uh, and, and Stevie, um... Paul mentioned, uh, you know, Tyrone's scoring efficiency. I think they had something like uh, 19 <clears throat> attacks and 19 shots 
uh, in the first half. Uh, what, what were your views on the game? Yeah, no, listen, echo a lot of what Paul has said there as well. It's interesting, obviously, listening to himself, who's come up against Monaghan this year. Uh, I hadn't kept a real close eye on, on that side of Division 1 because it was on the other side, but I I can know from, from watching on the TV, what, one thing that has struck me about Tyrone this year, uh, Joe, is the actually have added a bit of physicality around the middle third which they which they traditionally probably haven't had over the last number of years you know they've always struggled in around the middle obviously McKenna is a huge plus for them I think even the one that Began robbed you know everyone was talking about Began's tackle on, on Matty Donnelly but like McKenna got up like Aussie rule style and flicked one on in the lead up to that move which was which was class it was sort of the over the top kick out Donegal were famous for you know they've added in big Kilpatrick as well there to the middle of the field which has given them that wee bit of physicality and it means then because they have that, Joe, what Paul was talking about, going after the kickout and things like that as well. When you have that around the middle, you can become more confident going after opposition kickouts because, you know, if it does go long, then you can break even in around the middle. Um, you know, McCurry's been a sensation for them this year inside. I think if they had a fully fit Cal McShane, I think they'd be in a much better position heading into the Kerry game. But looking back at the game at the weekend, um, you know, as Paul rightly said there as well, it was it was an intriguing tactical battle. It really was. And before the game, I, I had sort of said to a few friends of mine as well, we talked about the two goalkeepers, how unique they are in the way they play the game and, and how they how they obviously, it's really like a small strategic battle within the bigger picture. You know, that Morgan coming out and closing off space and Began coming out as well in the second half and mirror image that and you know, I know towards the end it became a wee bit frantic and a wee bit sort of chaotic is what you would call it, maybe the last 10 or 5 or 10 minutes. But that's what you want in a championship game. That's as a neutral, as a supporter, that's what you want to see. Like, and But going back to what Paul said about the disruption, like it, it's astonishing because people on the outside probably wouldn't realise, you know, the preparation, the detail. You know, Paul's probably in the similar mode to ourselves and the fact that if we were playing a league game on a Friday night, I'd be telling boys on a Monday, you know, you're picking up, Paul Dadlin, or you're picking up, you know, Ross McGarry this Friday night, that's your matchup, getting a player in that psyche from the start of the week. Like, and all of a sudden, if you have a player in that mindset, in that mode, then a Thursday says, look, I'm gone with COVID. All of a sudden, you're having a plan and, and readjust straight away and hugely disruptive to the team. I actually thought when it happened on Sunday, or Saturday, sorry, it was the first time I was aware of it. I hadn't heard anything in, uh, that, that it had happened. I just, when I turned on the TV, I realised, Jesus, what's happened here? I actually thought Monaghan would have beaten them. And uh, just what Paul said there now, their normal, their normal running game, McConnell and these guys, like it, it wasn't there in the first half. But listen, Monaghan have a serious, serious energy line inside, like with Jack McCarn, McCarthy, McManus, and I thought as well, Paul. I don't know what you thought, but I thought Tyrone got their matchups really, really well in those three men, and I thought as well that that the job that Hampsey done at times on McManus was was top class, considering the influence McManus had towards the end of the Armagh game. Yeah, um, like if you been at the game, you know you would have noticed that for some strange reason, uh, I don't know why Monaghan seemed to try and drag Podicamshi out the field. McManus spent an awful lot of the time um, out the field trying to get uh, a one-on-one confrontation to try and take uh, Podicamshi on. In fact, it kind of worked against Monaghan because Podicamshi is no better player than Podicamshi getting up the field, and what a point he kicked from the outside of his right foot. Um, massive, massive contribution to the game. Um, just uh, also back, Stephen, there with regards to because I know and I've noticed now thrown the last three or four games, they've always wanted to finish really strong and they've made massive impact off the bench in the last couple of games the Calvin game, the Donegal game. Um, Joe, whenever you think about it, like them seven players that were missing, 
that's some difference going into the last 10 minutes. Like, you have no um, Burns. Burns would have started the two Brennans, Tierney McGann, Liam Rafferty, Richie Donnelly, Connor Shields. These are all players that Tyrone could have brought in. You're, you're, you're replacing them boys at the start. So, Tyrone were very, very lucky, in my opinion, that they, they that purple patch they hit before half time. Because I tell you what, they didn't have that impact coming into the game that they would like to have had. I suppose that's why the, the impact of COVID has been such, you know, it's been so hard to handle for managers and coaches. Like I know myself, I'm, I'm helping with Tremor there at the minute. And, and two Friday nights ago, Colin McCullough was was ringing me. They like, you know, five or six boys had just, they, they had a two week break in from club football and they were just back. A lot of boys were back from holidays and they got a phone call Friday morning. You know, five players had tested positive. Um, big league game that night, all of a sudden you're, you're delving into number 16 to 20. You know, and then your subs are all of a sudden becoming number twenty to twenty-five. Um, so that it does have a massive impact for for the management and and the, the I think the players just get on with it. Um, thrown strength and depth allow them to do that. You know, that's still a very strong thrown team. However, going into the last ten minutes, I would have thought that the thrown team would have been probably stronger, and it would have if them COVID boys had been available. And uh, and Petey, I think Petey Hart and McCurry were very, very clinical at the end, Steve. As you said, McCurry is a lovely player. Technically, he's a beautiful player. Peter Hart there came into it a little bit at the end. He gets a point. Is that, uh, Stevie, is that the difference too at the end? Being, Tyrone being a little bit more clinical up front. Also noticed in the first half, they were taking a lot of shots outside the scoring zone. They seemed to be taking a few more risks um, under the new management compared to under Mickey Hart. But was that the difference, being clinical at the end there? Well, I think, you know, both teams are hugely experienced, Joe. So when it, when it comes to coming down the stretch, like there's no shortage of game management in, in either side. And if you think back to the Armagh game, you know, the way Conor McManus orchestrated three free kicks very late in that game was serious game management from Monaghan. I know Armagh contributed to their downfall with mistakes, but they're both teams who are extremely, extremely, uh, uh, you know, huge, hugely experienced at this stage. And I've been in these situations before, but come back to your question about, about being clinical and, and being efficient in front of goal. It's probably something that uh, Paul talked about there, about the strength of the squads. There was a great stat from one of the journalists there on Twitter. I don't know who it was, but he put up a thing in the last 13 years, I think in the last 13 semi-finals or something like that, I think, or the last nine years, I think five of them have been contested by these four teams that are left, Tyrone, Mayo, Dublin and Kerry. And they're probably the four counties in Ireland that do have an extremely, extremely strong squad and can bring in five or six individuals who will make an impact and who will make a difference. And as Paul touched on there as well, Joe, he's completely right. When you do go down that stretch, that last 10 minutes, you need a clarity of thought. You need clear thinkers. You know, fresh men will add that. Someone who's throttled about the field for 60 minutes, 65 minutes, who's tired physically. If you're tired physically, you're tired mentally. And when you're tired mentally, you make mistakes. And that's when the games become very chaotic. In that last five or ten minutes, Dublin are fantastic at it. Davy Bourne came out with the, the ball the other day. Look, Jack O'Connor said after, I think, you know, Kildare gave them a test. I don't know how much of a test it was really for them, but it was tighter compared to previous Leinster games. But Davy Bourne comes out and the hand goes up. Once that hand goes up, that's their signal. This game's killed. 
this game's dead, you know, keep possession. And it's not pretty, it's not pretty to watch and it's very attritional and it's, but it's game management, you know, it's game management. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of counties can learn a lot from it. I know in recent years, Armagh have probably struggled with the game management side of things. They've thrown a lot of games away in the latter stages of games. And it's something that Dublin are very, very good at, very clinical at is managing games and really good teams would be able to do that. And I think that game comes from, the fresh legs coming in. Petey Hart is right. Yes, he did come into the game. I thought it a reasonably quiet game by his standards, but he did come into the game later on. But having that clinical nature up front and that efficiency, but that clarity of thought later on, Joe, is, is yeah. so important. As Paul said, like it's the best teams can bring those men in and, you know, lesser squads and lesser panels. You're bringing in a rookie or you're bringing in a lad who's making his debut or a lad who's maybe played a handful of minutes. But this year, and funny, I had this conversation today, with a lad who's involved in development and he was saying this year beyond all years you didn't have an opportunity I don't know what views were like Paul with Fermanagh but like every game is so important every minute is so vital and you've only three of them so you couldn't really blood four or five new lads you know you, 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 the only blooding that you can do really is you know a bit of a bit of game time and training or a challenge game because you you're going with the tried and tested because the season is so short, so unique, and the preparation was so disrupted. So it's, it's been a very, very difficult season for everybody. And, and listen, probably looking in the hindsight now, the four best teams are probably left in it. Uh, lads, just uh, before we move on to the next part, uh, the, the goalkeepers, there's been a lot of uh, interest in the Southern media about the role of, of the goalkeepers. Obviously, it's, it's no surprise to you, Stevie, because you know, you've written a blog on this. Uh, but I was going to ask you, Paul, um, we've seen the goalkeepers contesting kickouts. We've seen them being extra defenders. We've seen them as being playmakers now as well. Um, who do you think had more of an influence in that game, Began or Morgan? <laughs> Very difficult. It depends what you're looking at, um, Joe. I know um, Rory get all all the plaudits um, for you know even people are talking all about the tackle. Um, if I was a throne management, I'd be raging because whenever Maddie got that ball, Don McCurry was completely free to the top right hand corner of the pitch. And it would have been as, as, as Stevie goes, the, the last couple of minutes of the game, things happen. You know, players' fatigue uh, sets, um, sets in and different things. But when Maddie got that ball, there was a minute left in the clock, there were a point up. Don McCurry was free and he just took too much out of the ball and allowed Rory to steal it. Um, if you look at the kickouts, Niall Morgan went long nine times in the game and thrown one six of them. Um, Rory went long four times and thrown one four of them kickouts. So, you know, whereas Rory was having a lot of success short, he, he get completely wiped out. And, and because of uh, Niall's positioning on the kickouts, and it's something that actually... Racy must have been talking to the throne camp about because our stats people in Fermanagh are absolutely unbelievable. And it's one of the things that they had picked out about how Rory Began loves to hit that far left-hand corner of the field. And um, you mightn't have been able to see it, but I know Peter Canavan picked it up in the BBC. But our goalkeeper had played out in that position for nearly the whole of the game. Um, and I thought that maybe Monaghan missed that, missed a trick on that because they maybe would have known, right, well, if you're going to stand out there, we'll still put the ball out on top of you anyway and see what happens. Because there does become that sense of panic a couple of times um, that whenever the ball is played out there and, and Niall wasn't going to get it, people were kind of like, get back, get back. Um, but the, the whole role of the goalkeeper has come changed, and I believe it's changed for the better. You'll see a lot more teams now... Um, trying to get outfield players to play in goals. It's not going to be long before the actual goalkeeper just becomes an integral part of the game and becomes a man marker, becomes a midfielder. And, and 
but you need to have two or three people that are very au fait with the goal, the goalkeeper's role, so that if he's out the field, they can drop back in. Um, I know you play a lot of sevens football there and down, and uh, I, uh, the next down manager, um, we should be looking for an outfield player to play in goals because it definitely will give teams advantages moving forward. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think uh, Conor Laverty has started to play. Um, Charlie Smith, who was a Mill Bridge midfielder, as the goalkeeper now for the down under 20s. So yeah, there seems to be a pattern emerging there, Stevie, that the goalkeeper has to be one of your best technical players as well. Yeah, listen, I was involved with Brian's for last year and we would have did it in, in the league. And again, it was, we only had three league games to sort of try and get it right. Like, But Mark Reid there, Mark's in the, well, he was in the down panel this year. I don't know if he's still in it, but uh, Mark would have played a bit of midfield for Bransford at different occasions, seconds football and stuff when they were short. And took him out actually in the league game last year against Kilku. You know, they were very, as Kilku do, they get in front of you and then they're very, very hard to break down. And, you know, we were taking him out to try and stretch it a wee bit more. He actually scored a point that night to bring it back to within a point uh, with about five minutes to go. But as Paul rightly said there as well, I think, it's choosing your moments too because you can it, I thought the other day Paul I don't know what you thought see that stuff at the end the frantic I thought it became a bit of a circus type atmosphere you know where he's chasing back and it's you know it, it, it just creates pressure creates panic you know and I think there's a time and a place for it obviously the back pass rule I think that could be developed a little bit more I think what's going to happen now is the GA don't like change okay we've got a lot of people at the highest level in the GA who are very very set in their ways who, what you would probably call, you know, the dinosaur rule book, and they don't like innovation, they don't like change, they don't like anything that's new, or, you know, people see it nearly as a negative against the game, like, and even the mark rule, for example, was 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 pushed and pushed and pushed and brought in, and, and it's it's ruined, I think, like, even on Sunday, Daniel Flynn caught a ball, runner coming off the shoulder, took the mark and realised he shouldn't have took it, and Kildare were in for a goal, and we're actually, I think we're actually cutting back and denying the amount of goal scored opportunities that we can that we can create by bringing this silly mark rule in and then there's a mark given the other day to to Kieran Kilkenny it was a kick ball from 20 metres away a wee loopy one over in the air and he caught it in the edge of the D like it wasn't even that's not what the mark was brought in for you know and you can manipulate it but not without going offline come back to your original point about the goalkeeper I think it's going to get to a stage and I hope it doesn't Paul but I think it might get to a stage where the GA might decide you can't give the ball back to the goalkeeper inside his own half or something like that just it's just that you know people don't like to see it you know it, and it's because I think it's it's very innovative I think it's enjoyable but I tell you what it'll be fun now it'll be fun in the club leagues and down now because you'll have boys there doing it who won't be fit to do it and I'll tell you it'll cause some panic and pandemonium now <laughs> <clears throat> it will be interesting to see what, how it pans out and what patterns will, will, will evolve from that. Uh, Stevie, you mentioned uh, Kildare there. Uh, let's move on to the uh, Leicester final. Um, uh, we'll look at the uh, uh, Dublin. Uh, Dublin beat um, Kildare, Stevie, by eight points, but it was the smallest uh, winning margin in a Leicester final for eight years. Obviously, before that, Meath, Meath ran them close to, um, you know, Cluxton's gone. Con looked a wee bit quiet inside. Uh, they didn't score any goals against Kildare. What What are your thoughts on Dublin? There's a lot of stuff in the media talking about Dublin maybe not being with it this year, and there's an opportunity for other teams to maybe win the All Ireland. What do you well, think? Joe, obviously, there's obviously something just not completely right. Okay, now there's still one Leinster to canter, but if you look at the performances again, Wexford, the performances again, Meath, there was elements of those performances that we've never ever seen in Dublin's game over the last six years. Uh, has this group of players peaked? You know, have they lost? I think they've lost 15 players since 2017. Panelists, starters, whoever it happens to be from, from the time of Jim Gavin. Um, you know, played them ourselves in the first National League game and there was 12 of the All-Ireland teams started and 
first quarter they were excellent. I think they were four or five points up in the first quarter. I it was just a, it was typical Dublin, you know, they punished you for every every turnover you made, etc. We got a, we got a man black carded. Uh, we actually got two black cards in quick succession. So we played the second quarter with fourteen men, and the third quarter with fourteen men, and we actually won that segment of the game by a point or two, if I can remember. Now, it was the last quarter where we made silly mistakes and they kicked on and won the game at six or seven points. But I, I just felt even coming away that day, Joe, I felt no, maybe they're just maybe they're just timing their run. Maybe they've trained hard this week. Maybe there's something not right. You know, I didn't think they were as slick as they normally are, you know. And but as, as the season's gone on, I don't know, Paul, what your thoughts are on this. I'm sure we'll hear it in a minute. But I looked at the performance against Waxford and I thought, Jesus, like, Three all at the, after about 25 minutes against Wexford, who struggled in Division 4 this year. Final score, 15-7. 15, 15 points only against the Wexford team. And you're sort of thinking to yourself, like, like that was a Wexford team who the week before, Carlo put 2-19 past them. You know, and you're sort of thinking to yourself, what? That doesn't seem right. And then me, the comeback again, me, and the, the panic coming back to three points. And I just feel, Paul mentioned it before, when you take away that number 16 to number 24, and you replace them with number 24 to number 32. I just think that that's what's happened in Dublin. I just don't think they're still fantastic footballers, brilliant footballers. Even the boys that are coming in, Bulger and these guys, brilliant players. But are they at the level of the Flynn's, the Connolly's, the Andrews, the McCaffrey's? I don't think they are. You know, and I think, Joe, that's what's happening. They've just come back a little bit to the pack, and the big questions are still remaining, and, and they'll be answered in two weeks' time when they play Mayo. Uh, Paul, 15 players they've lost. That's a huge turnover. Also, you're kind of seeing some of the Dublin players uncharacteristically, you know, shooting outside the scoring zone. Scoring zone sorry. They don't normally do that. Their bench isn't as good as, as previous years. Paul, do you think there's something not right there about that Dublin team? Um, I am uncharacteristic, um, Joe. The 22 turnovers on Sunday. 22 turnovers for Dublin, which is, is virtually unheard of. But I, I still I still keep going back to the fact that we're, we're in COVID years. People seem to think we're now in the hot trust of the All-Ireland semi-finals. But these, these teams only started training 10 weeks ago. You know, people seem to think that this is, you know, we should all be um, gung-ho and everybody's fitness. But you'll find that the level of fitness and the standards from everywhere has dropped dramatically. Um, and that we're only starting really to get into it. And, and Stevie's 100% right. I know, for example, Racy has been very, very unfortunate as the new manager from Anna. He's been affected by two COVID years, you know, two 12-week periods. You know, Stevie's involved in there's common. I'd say, Stephen, you know, you maybe don't even know some of their common players. Um, you know, Desi Farrell's buying smack in the, in the middle of his first two years. Yes, he, he won last year in an All-Ireland. But how does he get to know the players? You're not allowed team meetings. You're not allowed to do your video analysis. You know, I'd have been very much, um, as, as a manager myself, like, like, like to meet up with players individually and have coffee and tea and, and talk to them. That's all gone because, you know, you're so conscious of what they've got at home. Um, and, you know, people are, people are forgetting where we're at with regards to what's happening in society at the minute. And the Dublin players are human at the end of the day. And yes, we, we know that they broke the COVID ban rule and everything, but but maybe that's because that was the first time that they were able to get back out. So maybe they aren't firing on, on all cylinders at the minute that they would like to. They've tried to integrate a couple of new players, like I see Sean McMahon, looks a, a very good player at seven. Um, would I dare to say that there's a couple of Dublin players, Stevie, that look as if they're carrying a bit of timber. 
um, that you wouldn't normally have at the stage of the year. Um, they're not going full tilt as hard as you would. I'd love to see their GPS stats. Um, but I think, and I'm going to say something maybe controversial here, but this is the first time in a long time that May Dublin will have to play very well to beat Mayo. And it's not normally that you would say that. You'd normally say, well, that Dublin Mayo will have to play very well. I think Mayo, Mayo are playing really, really well at the minute. And Dublin will have to up their game big time in order to beat them. Uh, so Steve, yeah, go ahead there, Stevie. Yeah. To back up with Paul saying there, and, and I'm sure Paul is exactly the same as any, every other county, like clubs are different, right? Because clubs aren't policed. Clubs are policed by sometimes by volunteers, by people within the club. There's good volunteers out there, COVID officers and stuff, right? But clubs will, will be allowed to break rules to an extent, as you say, the COVID thing, they'll be able to use change rooms. They might have sneaky meetings in their clubs. You know, nobody's really policing it. And at that county level, it's so policed really, really well. You have a doctor at every training session, right? You have a doctor, physio at every training session. They're not going to put their professional careers in jeopardy by allowing you to break COVID regulations, right? Not, not that we would anyway, but we would have arrived. And when I arrived, and Paul's completely right about the risk common thing, my first year with the boys and the first time I met them was on a Zoom. Like, that's not me. Like my, my whole coaching is based around my personality, building relationships with players, getting to know them as people. Just as Paul rightly said there now, you know, striking that that, that spirit, that that cohesion that you can build through that, you know. And players, remember the great John Morrison saying, I've said this numerous times, players won't care what you know until they know that you care. But it's very, very hard to build those relationships in this time. You're arriving at training with a mask in your mouth. You're going into a big, big gym, gymnasium, size of sports hall. Players are spread out. They're not sitting together. There's four or five metres between each one. You know, there's a quick briefing before training. You're out on the pitch. Mask comes off for the session or whatever it happens to be. You take the session, the mask is back on, you go in, you lift your food and you're away home. Like that was never the case, you know. And you would sit down and you would have had your meal together, you would have had your food together, and a bit of crack, a bit of carry on, a bit of banter. You might have done a bit of video work after training, there might have been a bit of a meeting or whatever it happened to be. You could have pulled three or four bites. Even when you're talking to players now, you can't put an arm around them. You know, you can't put you can't touch them, you know, you can't high five them. It is so surreal, like it really is. And I don't think people on the outside really, really understand how difficult it is, particularly for new management teams. You know, Paul talked about races two years for Mana being COVID-ridden. Like, that is so, so difficult. You know, you can't go away on weekends. But we used to go away. We used to go away with Carlo. I know we're financially tied. But Tarnock O'Brien would tell you, we went to the Johnson house for, for two nights, say Friday night and a Saturday night. But the work that you would have got done over that weekend, the cohesion that they would have built, the spirit that you would have built up, you know, even a couple of jars on the Saturday night for the boys, you know, it was absolutely priceless. Like those things are so, so important. Like, and then obviously the conditioning side of things, you can train, Paul, I'll tell you here now, you can train on your own as an individual all you like, Joe, but nothing beats that collective training, you know, and the competitiveness of it and the intensity of it. And that's what gets you fit and that's what gets you sharp. And I think the fact that Dublin were probably caught, I would say then they have done nothing since that. You know, whereas probably the majority of counties that I know of, and Paul probably the same on, a, on his doorstep, their neighbouring counties, training away like dogs. And those were the counties who actually probably probably stood out this year, you know, away from the norm and, 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 and had a little bit of success because they were training. We had nine sessions, Joe, nine before we played Dublin. Nine training sessions, like, you know, madness, like, you know. So it has been an extremely, extremely difficult year in that respect. And I think it's, it's something that's probably... It has been, and I'm, and I'm glad Paul mentioned it because we probably are expecting Dublin to be at these high standards. Like, like you know, many players would have been in contact with a ball over them lockdown months or, uh, all right, 
banging a ball of the wall back there subs grand but having it zipped to you from a kick pass or moving or whatever it happens to be you know so it's uh no it, it definitely is major major impact major impact uh, the other thing Stephen is I don't know but um that people might be aware but the, the GA has only allowed you to have so many collective sessions you know we, we were only allowed to do two collective sessions and a match at the weekend or three collective sessions in the week like that's virtually unheard of at intercounty football you know normally them boys would be you know five nights a week six nights a week but we weren't allowed to do that so as, as Stephen says you're going into a national league um, off the back of of nine training sessions then you're hit in with four matches in a row you do no work in between that um, and then you've got men missing left right and centre because of COVID so we don't know what the impact of the Dublin setup is but we do know the impact that it has had on Tyrone maybe Dublin um, especially in the capital have a lot more disruption than the rest of us so maybe that's not why maybe that's why they're not where they're supposed to be at this current moment um, Jimmy McGuinness, uh, Stevie, he wrote in the Irish Times there that Dublin are stronger, faster and more agile than any team in Ireland. He says the key to beating Dublin is to bring them into the trenches. Did you read that? I, I don't know what he means by that, bring them into the trenches. Well, I would say, I would say it probably means, you know, turn it into a real attritional affair and a real dogged encounter. But like Joe, I think everybody at this stage, like listen to Paddy Andrews giving off that Kildare were dropping off the kickouts, but your teams are pressing the kickouts and getting cleaned out. So I don't know, like, like you can do, everyone's got their own philosophy and how to beat them. And, and yet we haven't seen it in championship football in six years. Maybe this year will be the way, maybe this year will be the year that they'll be caught. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to know what to do because everybody has done it. You know, everybody, Tyrone have tried to go defensive, Mayo have tried to press them high. You know, for me, I look at their process, their system, Joe, and if the four teams left, and Paul probably, uh, he would have been, you know, very, very well organized when he was Kulku manager and they would have played a very, very certain way. And, you know, everybody knew their role. And I think that's, I think that's vitally important. Like everybody knowing the role, everybody understands what their role are. And I think at Dublin, that that is very still clear that everyone is sort of still sticking to the process. They don't, they don't deviate away from that. I thought in the second half against Kildare in particular, there was elements of that coming back where they weren't taking those pot shots. Their, selection, their shot selection, you're completely right in the first half, was shocking. But in the second half, they were back to their normal you know, ball retention, moving from side to side. And this is something that interests me about them. They're actually the best team in the country, right? But they're also the most predictable because they're not going to take those pot shots. They're not going to take those high risks. They're not going to chase that goal that Kerry will chase or, or other teams will chase, that Mayo will chase. So they are the most predictable, you know, and it, it, it's it's something that sort of makes me think, like, is there a way of looking at it? Because they're all based around stats and data. Dean Rock won't even take free kicks now that are outside the high percentage. You know, everything everything is driven by data and by stats with them, you know. So McGuinness is probably talking about, go back to the Donegal template of yeah. hugely attractive. But to play like that, to play like that, you need fierce athleticism, fierce conditioning levels, and a really good bench. And the team that's probably, the three teams that are probably, I would say probably Tyrone, you know, out of all three of them, and Tyrone out of all three of them are more equipped. If if they were still in that process of sitting in deep and playing them in the counter-attack, I don't, I don't know what Paul's views are on it, but it's 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 going to be an intriguing few weeks. Well, Paul, um, Dublin play, you Dublin play my own in the semi-final. Um, you said earlier that uh, you know Dublin have to play really, really well uh, to beat Mayo. Just having a look at Mayo, Paul, um, they, they look very good there in the first half against um, 
Galway might have been a bit of concern, but the second half was an excellent performance. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that sort of semi-final game or your thoughts on Mayo in general? Um, as I said, I think Dublin are going to have to play really well to, um, to beat Dublin or to beat Mayo. I think Mayo have added serious athleticism and pace to their team in all areas. If you look at their defence, um, the fact that they're able to bring um, McLaughlin only in as a sub, um, that's a flying machine wing half back. You know, um, I know Killian O'Connor is going to be missing. Aidan O'Shea is in the shape of his life. Um, the, the fact that over this last number of years, maybe they're so over-reliant on Killian O'Connor that everybody else has maybe decided to increase their performance by 1%. And if everybody increases their performance by 1%, that's 15% as a group of, and as a team. So that's massive. And that could have a massive impact in the game. And I think whenever McGuinness talks about going to the trenches, I think Throne have shown over the last three games that they can vary their tactics and their style of play they were very defensive against uh, Donegal. They went man for man against Monaghan. I think if Mayo were to win the game, and I think they, they can win the game, if they go toe-to-toe with Dublin, I think they'll give Dublin serious serious issues. Um, I think they've got the pace to mark the Dublin's uh, players, um, and I think they've got their mobility around the middle of the field now to really, really threaten James McCarthy and Brian Fenton. Um, kickouts are going to be massive. Um, one thing that really impressed me about Dublin at the weekend was even um, the fact that they, they had figured out the Kildare kickouts and within three or four seconds or three or four kickouts, they'd noticed that the goalkeeper was going to his right hand side in the pocket. And all of a sudden, James and Carthy and Brian Fenton and Boy started to drift. So Stephen talks there about Dublin and how good they are. They're actually one of the most intelligent teams ever to play Gaelic football because they figure you out really, really quick. And it's a matter of making sure that Mayo don't allow them to figure them out. And I think if they go face-to-face and they go pushing up, tactics maybe go out the window and that'll suit Mayo. Um, I'm, I'm going for Mayo. <laughs> um, Stevie, you said that um, uh, Tyrone were probably the best equipped maybe physically in terms of uh, maybe challenging Dublin. What do, you, what do you think about Mayo's chances against Dublin? No, I think, I think you know, all four teams that are left, Joe, and this is something that I talked about last week, actually, to a couple of people. And Paul will probably tell you as well. See the level of conditioning among those four teams. It's on a frightening level. The level of physical conditioning individually and collectively is mental. Like, you're watching these players up close, stripped out. Like, you know, phenomenal athletes. I, I talked about the Olympics is on now. And I talked about, like, if you're trying to look at Dublin players, the likes of McCarthy, Fenton, and these guys, you know, they'd be, they'd be equally as comfortable in an 800-metre race, you know, at the highest level. That's the type of build they have. You know, it's they're so long. They've long and lean muscles. They're so athletic. And again, I think that goes back to resources too, money, finance, being able to have individual, you know, player athletic development coaches and pointing the right people, having the best equipment, you know, the best facilities. All that matters, Joe. All that matters. And I think Tyrone have got a lot of that right as well. Peter Donnelly is obviously a major impact in the condition of how, how good a condition Tyrone are in. Kerry are in phenomenal condition. You know, I've seen it at first hand this year, the way they finished the last quarter. Again, ourselves, like it was 13 all the last water break. that a man set off and we're, we're, we're smelling blood thick and geez, we, could, we could get a win here. And all of a sudden you go after the game a little bit and they just sit in and they hit you on the counter-attack. Damon O'Connor, Paul Murphy, Gavin White, you, you know, by Shawnee O'Shea, runners coming from everywhere and you're going... How are these guys still making those runs after 65, 70 minutes? You know, and, and I think the last four teams that are left are also the best conditioned teams in the competition. Ashley Mullen, uh, I think uh, Paul talked about Ashley Mullen and McLaughlin. Ryan O'Donoghue, 
last year looked like a weapon. And this year, he looks as if he's put on four or five kilos of muscle. He actually looks so much stronger, so much more athletic. You know, and Oshin Muller, fullback, he looks an absolute beast this year in comparison. Now, he was always a strong enough looking lad, but in comparison to where he was last year, and I think a large, large part of it is down to the S&C and the conditioning. And I think if teams are looking to close the gap, that is, a, that is something that's in your control, Joe. You know, and, and I just look at, at our own county here and down, and we talk about size, and we're talking about, we're talking about size as in tall. But I'm going to ask the question, like, are we physically as strong a group as we can be? And maybe the answer is no. You know, and you have to look then at, at what's going on. And I, I'm listening to Andy Cunningham telling me about the Limerick hurlers and the strength. I don't follow hurling that closely, but the physical strength and physical condition of Limerick so Stevie, this started about 10, 12 years ago. They're under 14 development squads. S&C coaches in every squad, broom shafts, deadlifts, you know, coaching them, tailoring them in. And it just becomes then second nature. It becomes part of the culture. You know, when that creeps in, it's much easier then when you get to senior level. But you could go into a group of players who have been bereft of access to proper strength conditioning. And that's even at the highest level, Joe. That's even at the highest level. I don't know what your thoughts are, Paul, on that aspect. If you look at Stephen, if you look at the impact that Derry had this year, um, their conditioning this year is frightening. Like, I know Gareth McGillis is a neighbour of mine. Gareth McGillis is, I, I never seen a man in shape like it. Um, mm-hmm. But the, they have made massive gains this year through one way or another. But their physical conditioning has got them competing with Donegal at that top level. Um, yeah. But I want to go back on a point that you said there early on about the top four teams left. Their skill execution is at the highest level. They're the most skillful teams left. And like, I, I'm privileged to be involved in throwing football. The skill execution of, of some of the club players in Drone and the coaching that's going on in Drone Club Football is at a massive level. There's five or six boys I could tell you that I've come across in, in league games that would walk on to any other county and they're not getting a sniffing county drone in, in club football. You know, so there is the, there's definitely they're the four best conditioned teams, they're the four best skillful teams. Like I was talking to Joe recently there, Joe McMahon, and he, the hammering that they got from Kerry in the last game. But what Joe said was he never seen a level of skill like it that day. You know, their kick pass and their accuracy, their handling, their just their dummy and their skill ac- execution was just at a different level. And that's something for the rest of us to try and get towards that. You know, when if you mirror that skill and you mirror that physical fitness, you know, you're going to give yourself a real good chance of competing at the top level. And, yeah. and this is one of the reasons why Dublin have been dominant for, for the past 10 10, 12 years or so, it's because of their technical ability, because they're kick pass and they're yeah. The basics, Paul, isn't it? We we had Mick Bohan there um, during lockdown. We we me and Racy had met with him on Zoom and we had got um, you know, all the different skills that he had been using with the Dublin footballers and the ladies. And like I have to say, you know, if you ever get an opportunity to meet Mick, Mick and I'm sure Stephen, you have met him before, but like everything that he does is to do skill execution and he has that done and, and Mick would tell you that coming through um, Dublin have even more skillful players coming through over the next five or six years so it, it's something for the rest of us to look at Watching that second half Paul on Sunday against Kildare and there's balls going into the forward that was sort of one bounce pass coming off the surface at pace to them and you're you're nearly waiting for the full forward like a Kilkenny or, or a O'Callaghan to drop it they never drop it you know they're, they're their first touch is, as you say, is class. I, I watched, uh, I was at a coaching conference Bowen done all years ago, Crow Park, and 
like simplistic stuff, but really, really, you know, refine skill refinement, refine the basics, you know, continue. And, and it's the, what do you call the, the, the arrival activities, Paul, at training where players come down, Dublin players are there, they're working on their shooting, they're working on their left and right foot, they're working on the basics, you know, and all those things that are in your control, you know, and it's it's something I totally agree with you. Their skill level is, their, their not, skill basics. Do you not find, Stephen, that, that the teams that are up there and feel that they can win will buy into an awful lot of that a lot more than maybe the teams that don't because I, I'm finding and we're doing a lot of, co- I've done a lot of coaching over the last two, two or three years with different teams, but it's the buy-in from the Thrones and the, the Donegal's and the Dublins and the Kerry's. They'll try these things, whereas yeah. everybody else thinks they're a waste of time when, they, when they're clearly not. Yeah, everybody's looking at the bigger gains. They think that that's the bigger picture, you know, the sexy stuff, where it's actually, when you go back down to it, it's the core fundamental basics that, that a lot of teams actually really need a harness and work on, like, yeah, performing the skill under pressure. Yeah, de- it definitely does seem to be the basics, lads, that they've, uh, they've perfected the basics. Um, right, lads, um, moving on to our last team, and they're actually the favourites. I've, I've had a look in Paddy Power today, and uh, Kerry are actually favourites to win the All-Ireland, which is... That hasn't been the case for a very long time. Um, what what are your thoughts, uh, Paul, on Kerry? I know David Clifford's been a bit quiet. I think his brother there, Potty, has shown him up a little bit. Do you think Kerry could win it? Do you think they justify that favourites tag? I, I I'm on, I'm in two thoughts over over Kerry. I think going forward, they're the best team in Ireland, and if this goes to a shootout and toe to toe. Um, I think Kerry won't be stopped. However, I have still grave reservations over their defenders. Um, Jason Foley at full back. You know, if you look at their half back line of Gavin White, Breen, and, and Murphy, they're all really attack minded. Um, the breeze through Munster. Um, they did fairly well, and you know, in the national league as well. Going forward, phenomenal. Um, Tom O'Sullivan, O'Sullivan even from cornerback is an outstanding player. However. Hurley, um, I think give the rest of us uh, um, a wee bit of hope that, that they could be upset because single-handedly he took the game to them in the first half. He gave Jason Foley an awful run around um, until Kerry made a wee bit of um, tactical changes. Um, it depends very much on how they how they will deal with what Tyrone set up. Um, if, they, if Tyrone decide to go man for man, face to face, there's only going to be one winner. Kerry's going to just absolutely shoot, shoot the, the lights out. If Throne tactically get this right and kind of go defensively a wee bit, then maybe push up on them face-to-face at times, I think they'll give Kerry their fill of it because Throne do also have really, really good forwards. Um, but for me, they are the team that everybody else has to stop and has to try and figure out a way of beating. Um, and if, they, if Kerry gets to play their football there's only going to be one All-Ireland winner this year. Uh, Stevie, Logan uh, and Duhar, they have to change it tactically uh, against Kerry, as Paul said. They can't go kind of man-to-man, gung-ho, in order to win that game. Do you think Logan and Duhar will do that? Yeah, I do. I do, Joe. I don't think they're naive enough to realise. Like, they conceded six goals the last time they played Kerry, you know, and I think that that's probably... That has actually probably been a, a good thing for Tyrone because... Uh, we actually played them the following weekend after Killarney in a challenge game up in Fermanagh, up in Rosley. 
we actually scored four goals ourselves. And I came away that day thinking how open they were and, and how... I had never seen Tyrone like as defensively open, and I think they probably probably battened down the hatches since that and decided, look, you know, we're going to have to have a bit of balance. Paul struck a lovely chord there when he when he mentioned about the the variety in their play. I noticed a couple of things on Saturday against Monaghan where they got the ball, and normally you would see a Tyrone team get a ball in around their own forty five in around that sort of middle third, and the only thing they would do would be run it. But I actually seen a number of occasions on Saturday where they just went long diagonal route one, Paul, into a big man inside and looked to flick it down. And, you know, and, and I noticed even if you can mix that up, Joe, you know, it, it gives you, it just adds another string to your bow because Tyrone have never had an issue defensively. Never, because they've always been very a tough nut to crack. They've always had that, that, that ability to grind out attritional affairs. And what Paul mentions is very, very interesting about club football because I have always said for years that I always felt Tyrone, even way back to the noughties, when they had a super, super team with the O'Neills, the Doers, the, the, the McGuigans, the Mulligans, the Canavans, even when they had those lads, even their defenders, your, your, your own manager there, uh, Paul Ricey, like he was just as comfortable coming forward and kicking a point as he was doing the dogged stuff. I always felt Tyrone players had an unbelievable level of ball retention. Joe, I was involved in underage teams and down for the guts of 10 years from, from under 15 right up to under 21 level. And I came up against Tyrone many a time. And I came up against them in schools football, underage football. And one thing about all their young players is they're all comfortable in the ball. They're all good ball players. And I went down to our bowl last year. I took a week's training session with, with their minors. We coach education evening and Yavin Devon's young fella that was there and there's a couple of all young lads in that panel. And they all have that sort of, nearly what you call it, Tyrone style about them. You can nearly see it in them, you know, and they're all comfortable ball players. But, Gary do have something this year that I think is different. I think they've got the bit between the teeth. I think Parker Cueve last year in the middle of November when they were chinned in that wet rainy night, I think that that is driving them on this year. I think I don't think their focus was, I don't think their focus was anywhere near Dublin or Tyrone. I think their focus was Cork right up until that Munster final. And now they have to rejig their focus and look at Tyrone because they they, they like they beat Clare, they beat Tipperary and they beat Cork. But Cork stayed up in the last day of the season by one point against West Meath. So Cork technically were at the bottom stages of Division 2 and Kerry won Division 1. So there was a gulf in class, there was a gap there. So we don't really know how good they are, but they do possess, as Paul said, some frightening footballers. They've got the ability to blow teams away, Joe. And, and one thing about them is as well, they have this great habit, and I love seeing it. And, and I know, Paul, that you would have experienced it at Kilku too. Like, take your goals and your points will come. You know, if that goal was on, they're at it, they're after it, they're down the throat, they're looking for that major, you know. And that's that's something I really admire about them too. You know, really, really admire about them. But look here, any given day, you know, Tyrone will be well organised. They'll have looked at their matchups. You know, they've got a bit braver on kickouts. And Paul hit the nail on the head. There's elements of Kerry's game that you can get at too. Their own kickouts aren't fantastic. Their own goalkeeper's not fantastic at restarts. Foley full back. Thomas Sullivan likes going that way. You know, so there's there's a number of little things that the Trone could exploit, but it's just picking and choosing their moments. And it's going to be, I think they're going to be two brilliant semi-finals, hopefully. Yeah, Kerry, Kerry also seem to have their defensive issues as well. Paul, um, just coming back to you there, um, McShane, I know when he came on the weekend, he fumbled a few balls when he came back. He obviously hasn't had many games because of COVID as well and, and that type of stuff. Um, well, if you look at the likes of, you know, McShane, Donnelly, McCurry, and then you look at the carry forwards, the Cliffords, O'Shea, do you think the carry forwards are a, a level above the Tyrone forwards and that could win the game for Kerry? 
Um, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if I would agree with you. Like, Matty Donnelly has been playing absolutely brilliant football. You know, you put Matty Donnelly in there against Jason, Jason Foley, I think there's only going to be one winner. Um, Mark Bradley's a serious, a serious player. You've got Darren McCurry, who's in, in the, you know, in the best shape of his life. He, um, there's an article today about how much he practices the mark, and he's really developed that high aerial threat. Some of his catches, I actually went to the Calvin game and stood behind the goals to keep an eye on him. And some of his catching above the, in the air for such a small lad was just absolutely frightening. Um, I, I think it's going to be very much, um, Joe, uh, a shootout. Um, Yes, you've got Clifford who, you know, on his day could could give you. But I just think Tyrone have Podrick Humphrey and McNamee who are two really, really good defenders and maybe will be able to mark some of the some of the carry forwards. Whereas I don't know if the carry defence have the same defensive powers. And I think Kerry are worried because I've seen Neiman Fismoris um recently there had said about, you know, that the league match was you know, Trone had trained that morning and, you know, hadn't taken the league match serious. That's that's lies. Like, that's not true. Trone went down to win that game as much as possible, but they just got a lesson that day. Um, but I think they'll have learned from that um, very much so. Still place Kerry as favourites, but um, I still think on, on their day, if it'll be depending if they can figure out Trone or not. Um, yeah, should be interesting. Um, lads, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, just a final question. Stevie, who's going to win the All Ireland? Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with, with Mayo to beat Dublin and then Kerry to beat Mayo in the final. Okay, I'll hold you to that, uh, Paul. I'm going to go with Mayo to win um, and them to beat Kerry in the final and to break the hoodoo. Um, also, great footage of, of that uh, game that you were at in Rosley there, Stevie. Stevie, Shane, big Jamie quickly took a video for me of the four goals. He says he never seen a smile like it from here to here with you. Uh, it's not very often a Stevie team scores four goals, Joe. So, well done, Stephen. I know all about it, Paul. I know all about I, it. I understand, Paul, why would so many men up the field? <laughs> all right. Well, here, lads. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on the show. And, um, you know, some interesting thoughts there. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe.